Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. It's Earth Day, and in honor of Earth Day, today I have a treat for you. I'm going to share with you a podcast that I guested on a couple of weeks ago with Talia Antonietta. It's called the Social Impact Startup Podcast. And when we get to the meat of it, the reality is all social issues are also related to climate issues. And so this is a lot of what Talia and I talked about on this specific show. We talk about making a difference every day of our lives. I shared where I came from, my start in the natural products industry. We talk about social impact initiatives like collaborating with Vitamin Angels and remaining cause-centered in our work life as well as our personal lives. We really were both talking about being ecologically focused as well as community-minded. You'll learn a thing or two as well about the origins of omega-3s and why I've gone to a more algae-centered approach in recent years. We even step into some more complicated subjects like what the heck is Deshay? Are supplements regulated? And I share a quote from my friend David Stouter. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, here's Talia. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Social Impact Startup Podcast. I'm Talia Antonietta, your host and founder of The Modern Altranor. Today's guest is Karina Belize. She is a natural products industry executive who pioneered the growth of the omega-3 giant Nordic Naturals from less than 1 million in annual revenue to over 100 million. As a mom of two young boys, podcaster, and executive, her mission is to leave the world a little better than she found it while inspiring others to do the same. Her podcast, Care More, Be Better, is focused on building a community of individuals who want to create positive change in the world at both the local and global level. The Media Casters is a platform focused on supporting content creators to become their best selves. In our conversation, we discuss the power of podcasting and why meaningful conversations can lead to meaningful action, why you can reinvent yourself or your brand at any time, the power of incrementalism and local level action, her advice for those looking to start a podcast and why entrepreneurship can be isolating, but you don't have to go it alone. Karina is working to pave a realistic roadmap towards a better future by helping people take action in ways that actually fit into their lives. So I really do look at the podcast as a service and also a call to action. I think people want to be more activistic. I think they want to get involved, but a lot of times you just don't know where to start. And so something as simple as like, well, heck, you know, yeah, I, I guess I could go live in a treehouse, but that's not practical. So how do I make a difference in my daily life? Taking action starts with doing what is accessible to you. And I think that Karina is doing a great job at showing individuals how they can take action in their daily lives. There's so much great information ahead. I hope you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Karina. Hi, Karina. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I can't wait. I'm so excited to chat. You're actually the first guest that I featured who also has her own podcast as well. And we'll delve into that in just a little bit of time. But before we do, I always like to do a little bit of a walk back with my guests and kind of understand where you came from and how it led to where you are today. So give us a little bit of historical background of what are the relevant tidbits from your career, from your life experience that led you to where you are today. Well, 
don't like to go way back, but the reality I could sum up in a couple of sentences is I was born on a hippie commune. I was really connected to food early on. I remember literally having my mom walk a goat into the kitchen into a yoke and milk it for morning milk. And so these sorts of things were just endemic into my daily life. And it meant that when, you know, I went to the grocery store, I knew where food came from. And so I kind of was born into the natural products industry. And even though I pursued studies in archaeology and anthropology and did digs around the world, I gravitated towards natural foods and supplements. And so I've spent essentially a lifetime at this point in the study of health and nutrition. I've worked to build nutritional brands, but also regenerative brands, brands that give back, that are working to make an impact. Over the course of a decade, I worked as a second command at Nordic Naturals as a sales, marketing, and education leader. And I was hyper-focused in that case of correcting the global omega-3 deficiency, which is very, very purpose-driven, right? So it was kind of product as the focus, but at the same time, we would participate in all sorts of initiatives around the globe like funding dogs for veterans, so service animals for veterans, or parks for kids in inner cities, or you know, making sure that we were part of the Thrive to Five campaign with the Vitamin Angels, and just really keeping cause at the center of what we were doing. And a couple of years back, you know, I've been out of Nordic Naturals for a while. I've continued working in the natural products industry. I'm no longer as crazy about fish oil, still just as crazy about omega-3s, but I'm really trying to go to more ecologically friendly plant source bases and have been spending time working on that more vegetarian, vegan side of the industry over the mm-hmm. past few years and went back to school and decided to get my MBA and <laughs> started a podcast that connects to the social impact and sustainable things that I'm passionate about because I just wanted to kind of double down on all those efforts and try to make the world a better place through communicating with all sorts of people that also care. So that's kind of the one-two punch. Yeah, no, that's a great elevator pitch. A little longer than an elevator pitch, but it's like (laughs) a good concise segue into everything that you're creating, which is really great. I'm a little curious about why and I'm sure we'll delve into this a little bit more, but why you're focused on omega-3s coming from fish, coming from algae. Can you talk about why that's beneficial for our society? Well, here's something that was shocking to me, and it shouldn't have been shocking to me, but I worked for nine years focused with Nordic Naturals on omega-3s from fish, sardines, anchovies. I started to push for an algae source when I was there, and we did do one for a while that we called Veggie Omega with a vegetarian shell and an algae oil inside. And what I learned in the process of doing that was that fish got 100% of their omega-3s from the algae they eat. So they're not actually making it and they're not making the EPA and DHA in their bodies. I always thought they were. I thought they were kind of like the segue for us when we were meant to eat these fish in order to get EPA and DHA because if you you could eat like a bag full of flax seeds and you're not going to get the same EPA and DHA from that because your body has to convert it. That's the technical side of it. You have to convert all the ALA and EPA and DHA. The algae does it for us. The algae also does it for the fish. And so when we get a direct source of these constituents, EPA and DHA, What happens in our body is inflammatory cascades will slow down. You know, our body essentially goes back to its state of balance. It's homeostasis. And I know like a lot of companies have kind of pushed the envelope and tried to say, you know, omega-3s or fish oil are anti-inflammatory. That's not the reality of how they work. The body wants to be in balance. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so when you get enough omega-3s in your body, it returns to balance better. And if you have too much omega-6, like the standard American diet, and not enough omega-3 because you're 
eating fried foods, vegetable oils that would naturally contain some omega-3 if they weren't manipulated. We process everything. We take the omega-3 out of a lot of our vegetable oils because of the fact that it makes it less shelf stable. And they want to put a bottle of Wesson on the grocery store shelf that will last a long, long time. This is part of the reason we're out of balance. It's part of the reason we've been kind of sold the short end of the stick because we haven't learned to eat a whole food regulated diet that can actually support optimal health. Wow. I didn't know any of that. Most people don't. Yeah. I kind of knew a little bit about the differentiation between the omega-3s and the omega-6, but I didn't realize that people are actively taking the omega-3s out of our food to make it more shelf stable and preserve it for longer periods of time. It's a little unnerving. Um, yeah, that's a whole but... invention of shortening. Like shortening was the big thing in the 50s, right? Because you were able to make a fat that you could didn't have to refrigerate. You could leave it in your pantry. And so, you know, shell shortening itself is essentially trans fat. It's like making a vegetable oil into something like lard but not lard. And the reality is that lard is more healthy for you than something that is made to be shelf stable in that way. That's so interesting. If you had to advise people to find a good omega-3 from the algae, like what's a good product that they should be looking for? I mean, the reality at this point is there are many omega-3 products available. The challenge though is most will just go to something like Amazon and they'll buy whatever is the cheapest. And the reality is there are so many manufacturers that now just act as a kind of one-stop shop. Like they just basically churn out pills and the oil could be coming from anywhere. It's not like there's a direct connection to source. And so what I tend to tell people is like, don't go to Amazon first for your supplements or your foods, you know, really think about going either direct to a company that you know, like, and trust because they're actually giving you a transparent relay of the information, go to a health food store, you know, really just You don't need to support the Amazon giant. Jeff Bezos is plenty rich. He doesn't need more money. We can all go somewhere else and support local economies and think about how we're consuming in our daily lives, even when it comes to something like supplements. You know, I would just say go to algae first. You know, there are some really interesting technologies that are coming out that are essentially enabling us to extract out phospholipids and glycolipids from algae. And I will personally be involved in a project that is coming out later this year that I'm not at liberty to discuss too deeply. But, you know, the reality is know your source and don't shop on Amazon. I mean, those that's my basic message. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good one. And also supplements are not a regulated industry. Right. So this is a common misnomer. A lot of press gets out there along those lines. In Mm -hmm. 1994, the Dietary Supplements Health and Education Act was passed through Congress. And what it did was it enabled the FDA to regulate supplements. It also preserved the ability for supplements to remain in circulation. And, you know, essentially we all have to adhere to these good manufacturing practices and current good manufacturing practices in order to offer a supplement on the market today. So it's not like like supplements are unregulated, they're not a drug to start with. There's a distinct classification. They are a highly regulated food. And especially mm-hmm. when you talk about something like omega-3s, you know, you don't go out to get your salmon steak and know what the PCB, the mercury, and the lead levels are in that salmon steak. But if you go and take an omega-3 supplement that you bought from a reputable brand, they had to meet all these GMPs. If they're offered in California, they have to meet California Proposition 65 standards or limits of those toxins. And so it's much safer and much more pure 
than going and eating a steak of salmon. This is something we run against again and again, but like, I just love that phrase. David Stouter, I should quote him. He, um, he's the one who said supplements are not unregulated drugs. They're highly regulated foods. And so we need to treat them that way. I didn't know that. I'm learning so much about supplements. It's very, very <laughs> Well, I didn't expect to be talking about all this today, but I mean, gosh, you know, I've spent since 99, I've been in this industry. So more than 20 years. And I've worked on the side of manufacturing where I actually represented different herbal extracts and helped to formulate products, right? And in the world of sales and marketing, bringing things to market, creating new brands and working to educate a public populace about all the many ins and outs of what a supplement is, what it can do for your health, how it should be used. And I will say like, I have just this strict no BS policy. Like, I mean, even as a marketer, I'm the no spin zone. Like there's a lot of things that come my way like, oh, well, we could say this. I'm like, well, we could, and it's misleading. So I'm not going to put my seal of approval on that. And Mm -hmm. so while I've seen many other companies come out Wild West, kind of shoot from the hip and tell you, you know, this product is going to cure cancer or something like that. I have never taken the step to just overcommit to what something can do. But what I will say every time I talk to people, like there's the basics of three supplements I would advise every single person to take on a routine basis. And that is just simply a really high quality multivitamin that's food based. So from food sources, because your body recognizes the nutrients differently, it comes from food. It's not synthetic. It's not made in a laboratory. And that's not to say that laboratory made synthetics are all bad. It's just your body doesn't recognize them the same way. You might not absorb it as well. Another is, of course, an omega-3 and something that's a direct source of EPA and DHA because your body doesn't have to go through the hard work of trying to make that omega-3 from alpha linolenic acid, which is like a 16-step process, and you might get 5% of it. So it's just a really long way to go to get what you want out of the product, right? So EPA and DHA, omega-3, I prefer algae sources at this point because there's no reason to keep overfishing our oceans. We have better solutions. And then the third is really something in the fat-soluble realm of vitamins. And the reason I'm going to say this is because even a really good multivitamin often doesn't have enough vitamin A, D, or K2. And these three fat-soluble vitamins together do something amazing and magical in the body. They basically regulate where your calcium goes. And so we know that most people have challenges, even as young as the age of six, with some arterial sclerosis, which is hardening of the arteries, because of our diet and our activity levels. If you get vitamins A, D, and K2, what they do is they act like the police in your system to tell your body, hey, calcium, go to my bones, go to my teeth, keep those strong, but don't sit around in my soft tissues. Vitamin A helps you remodel your bone. Vitamin D helps you absorb calcium. If you miss vitamin K2, then what happens is you remodel your bone. Sure, you lose calcium into your bloodstream. You've got a lot of vitamin D. Your body might even be absorbing that calcium then because it increases the absorption of calcium into your soft tissues and your joints and hardening your arteries. So you have to get the vitamin K2. And so what where you find that fat is specifically in things like fermented foods, specifically cheese, like brie is one of the highest in vitamin K2. So if you do eat cheese and these like fermented cheeses, not like American cheese, you're going to get some of that. Or you just eat green leafy vegetables every single day, and then you're going to get vitamin K1 and vitamin K1 can actually become K2 in the body. It's shorter lived, but it's like the water soluble variant. So if you don't have a great diet already, you know, get vitamin K2, A, D, you can get those together as a threesome. They're all Mm -hmm. fat soluble, work great together, omega-3 and a multivitamin. 
I've written all of that down as you've been talking because I need to up my own personal supplements. But I think that's very insightful for people. Just as we, even on this podcast, talk a lot about our personal wellness and being able to show up and be feel the best that we can possibly feel in order to make a larger impact in the world. So I think it's very helpful and insightful for people who are in the social impact space to also take care of themselves. For everybody, obviously, but specifically when you have a big mission in the world, you really have to show up for yourself first because it takes a lot out of you no matter what you're building. It really requires a lot of your energy. So I'd love to segue a little bit into talking more about why you chose to launch your podcast, Care More, Be Better. You obviously have a wealth of knowledge from the food space and your podcast is focused on social impact and sustainability specifically. What was kind of the impetus that you were like, I think I'm going to launch something to have these really important conversations with people? You know, I was in I was in the midst of my grad school. I was going to be graduating in less than a year, right, with my MBA after spending 20 years building brands, basically saying, I want the education cred too, and I want to see where there's holes in my knowledge. And I had to spend quite a bit of time do you know, preparing things for presentations and speaking in front of people. And I'm like, you know, I both love to do this and it's not hard for me. Like I already have these skills, right? I've done media tours, I've been on radio, both national syndicated and in studio at WR Radio in New York, which is like the biggest radio station that there is, right? And also on, you know, over the phone doing kind of terrestrial radio as well. And then also on podcasts. And I'm like, well, heck, I already have all these skills. I have listened to Terry Gross and NPR and like Car Talk since forever. And, you know, I have something to say. I have something to share with the world. I want to double down on this effort that I've been putting into the space, you know, to really get people to care a little bit more about the issues that we all face so that we can create a better world together. So that's why I called it care more, be better. I think of it as an invitation and Unlike all my experience in the business world, what I'm really working to do through that show is to reach a consumer that may be on the precipice of something, an individual, not necessarily a business, though I know I'm listened to by many business owners and I do feature entrepreneurs. I am working to reach people and really kind of invite them in to learn more about something that might be really complicated. And so as a, for instance, I was able to interview Paul Hawkins about his work in the drawdown project and regeneration as a whole, really all of his work in the environmental field, and then spent an 11 episode series digging into the work of regeneration and going through it in book report style, basically telling people what the chapter covered, educating them on the content of the book, and then offering commentary and thoughts about some of it, and even a few chuckles because some of his metaphors are quite humorous. (laughs) And so I figure, you know, in this world where so many of us is living fast and we don't have a lot of time to read, I did this as kind of a service so that anybody in my fold who had come in because they were worried about sustainability or regeneration or concerned with social issues that all kind of interlock and impact one another within this sustainability message that I could be of service to them. So I really do look at the podcast as a service and also a call to action. I I think people want to be more activistic. I think they want to get involved, but a lot of times you just don't know where to start. And so something as simple as like, well, heck, you know, yeah, I I guess I could go live in a tree house, but that's not practical. So how do I make a difference in my daily life? 
So I even have done little things like work to create a five-step guide to unleash your inner activist, like really just a six or seven page document that gives you some guidance and kind of a workbook format, but also then resources that you can go to learn more. Again, it's like about getting engaged, about caring a little bit more so we can all be better about not, you know, just giving up because you say it's all too much. I can't take it anymore. And just essentially moving into complacency because in, in that state of complacency, none of us, I mean, we lose hope. And I think that that's a space that we don't have to live in. Like we can take action. We can make our lives better and the worlds of those around us and even those that are very far away. I think it's helpful because obviously the world that we live in, we're very interconnected and we're very hyper aware of everything that's going on at all times. It can be extremely overwhelming knowing how many kind of looming things are kind of hanging over our heads. And I think that at times it feels like you're a little out of control, right? You really don't have much control over a lot of these like large, big things going on. But the reality is, like you're saying, once you start kind of small and you're able to take control over like even one purchase decision, like maybe instead of buying a vitamin off of Amazon, you're buying a vitamin from a health nutritionist or, you know, someone who's more local, helps serve your community. That tiny shift, it's small in the large scale of our giant world, but it's big in your personal life. Yeah. It's the power of incrementalism, right? Like you do one Mm -hmm. small thing and then another small thing and then another small thing. And then collectively the whole becomes bigger. One of the things I did in my local neighborhood was I kept sending letters to my local municipality for garbage collection because I was disappointed that they didn't have a compost program. And I know most people will not compost unless they have something that's simple. Like, so even if you say to somebody, oh, you know, yeah, you can get a little can and you can go ahead and compost it and get this composting system and then put it in your garden. The number of people who are actually going to do that are definitely in the minority. But Mm -hmm. if you make a change, like for instance, your local municipality now says, you can put your food scraps in your green waste bin, then suddenly everything changes, like people can get engaged. And so I know that my voice wasn't the only voice that contributed to that shift, but I just got a notice in the mail last month, which said that our local area is now accepting compost scraps in the green waste bins. So that's a win. (laughs) It's a win. And and it's like, okay, so I didn't get a notice back. Nobody ever really responded to me, but I just kept like, you know, every once in a while making sure I sent a note in and I didn't have the time needed to go to city hall and lobby them in person or do any of that. But I did have the time to send a simple email on a periodic basis (laughs) and make sure it was something that just got in front of them again, because that's how you often can push for change. It's at the local level, much before it's at your states or even national level. It's a good thing to keep in mind. My family is in Canada and they already have like compost bins as part of the trash system. You would be surprised how little trash you actually produce when you compost your food. And it's actually like incredible when you're recycling and composting you really have very little that actually has to go to a landfill but you know a lot of people live in places where that's not even accessible like even in here in los angeles we don't have compost bins we have recycle and trash and no compost and so you'd think that they would be a little bit more ahead of the game but i think that's a a great win for you and your community yeah well san francisco is really leading the charge when it comes to that i mean now they think their households are producing 
reducing something like 15% of the waste that they were before because of their recycling programs and everything that they have going for them in that arena. You go to the airport even, and you have everything separated between compostable recycling and your waste. What I've noticed in my personal house, because we're not zero waste, I have two young boys. It's very, very hard to be zero waste as a mom. And unfortunately, a lot of my foods that I buy sometimes come packaged in plastic and I'm doing my best to eliminate that. But I've learned that some of those plastic packaging, even like the things that you can buy your greens in, like those clear plastic bins often aren't recyclable in specific areas around the globe. So even though it bears that chasing arrow symbol and you might think, oh, I can just throw it in the bin, your municipality may not take that. So it's a good idea to check on what is recyclable in your area, because if you are putting things in the recycle bin that aren't aren't recyclable, then it gums up their system and requires more man hours and it all just ends up in landfill anyway. Often can contaminate an otherwise good recycling material because they just don't have the manpower for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've assessed that on a periodic basis. I have seen that some things change for the better as they've added things like composting. But the reality is plastic is just not that easy to recycle presently and to have it be recycled into something comparable. It's like a down cycling. And so the thing I like to tell people just in general is to consider doing everything you can to eliminate or reduce your plastic use. And elimination is really, really hard. So reduce, just think about it each time. You know, if you have an option to buy something in a paper carton as opposed to a plastic one, buy the paper. Yeah. It's just being more conscious as a consumer. And I love that your focus is on helping consumers make better choices who are on the precipice. Because I think you're right that there is a huge shift that's happening where people are a lot more conscientious, I think, because of the access to information and just the awareness of all of our global issues like climate change is a constant looming anxiety I think basically for everybody and if it's not Mm -hmm. for you then I don't know you must be living in bliss in your ignorance I guess (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but I'm curious when did you launch your podcast I launched it um, my trailer episode was in late January 2021 then I started actually releasing episodes in February I just did the trailer first and then went oh crap I gotta get these all out now Yeah, I had a couple of cancellations. I learned a few things in the process. So um, now I'm getting ready to actually launch a nutrition related show. And I'm recording something like four or five episodes before we even get to launch. So I'll have them all ready in the can. There's definitely some things you learn as you go. Launching a podcast is <laughs> a lot of work. And I know a lot of people are listening to podcasts, thinking about launching their own. So what are other than, you know, banking a few episodes before you launch, what are some pieces of advice you would offer to those who want to start their own podcast? Well, for one, I actually co-founded a podcast called The Media Casters, which has also become a community and it's free. Anybody can join. You just go to themediacasters.mn.co. It's run on The Mighty Networks, which is a female owned and operated company. Mm -hmm. And essentially it's like a social media site similar to what Facebook would be, but just for our community. So I work to keep it really safe. And what I mean by that is that there aren't scammers. I've booted a couple who come in just because it's free to join, right? And they're just trying to sell some service that isn't actually real. Mm -hmm. And so they're gone, you know, Um, and that's one of the problems I saw with a lot of Facebook groups that were podcast related. They were just replete with noise of people just trying to pitch their show. And so people stop listening. And then you get somebody coming in and saying, I can help you get to number one on Apple Podcasts or in the top 100 or whatever. And what they're essentially doing is running bot farms that will download your episode for a fee. And the moment that the bot farm stops doing that, 
all of your listenership looks like it falls off a cliff. And by the way, Apple Podcasts and some of the other platforms have gotten wise to this method. And so now you can actually see negative repercussions from that where they just won't show your podcast to people because they have the ability to do that. So what I would say is not incredibly complicated. I work with the community of media casters to try and make it simpler for them. We host office hours each Thursday for an hour. And often we're even just helping people work through the nuts and bolts of getting their show actually launched during that call. In one session, we were running via Zoom. I actually got Julie Rega's podcast, Stay On Course, which is a personal development type of podcast. We got that actively launched on Apple Podcasts as we were in a session. And then everybody that was live in the call went and reviewed it on Apple Podcasts at the same time to help give her a little, you know, positive kick because there's power in community and we can learn these things together and you don't have to go it alone. I went it alone to launch my podcast and I didn't love that. And so that's part of what we've worked to build with the media casters is something that is like a community of people that genuinely are there to support one another. Yes, we may offer some services that come for a fee, but most of what we do is really free and because we care. I mean, I think that's great. And it is a growing community. Like, how have you seen the interest kind of expand over the time of you launching it to now? We just launched in November, the podcast, and then the community in December. So it's very, very young. At this point, we have about, I think, 215 podcasters, broadcasters, some authors that do media tours on podcasts, and also people that work in production of podcasts that are part of the community. And they'll give advice too. So they'll be like, oh, I'm a sound engineer, and I listened to your show, and I think you could improve it in these three ways really simply you just have to you know get a better distance from your microphone or you know you could add some sound panels to your wall that aren't incredibly expensive and you know here's what I would recommend for your new boom arm which I I followed one of their advices and bought a new one because the one I had before was you know like a little rickety it was harder to adjust and I found that it didn't get the microphone out of my way as much so I'd knock it just because I like to use my hands you know so yeah the Italian curse that's true I've tried to be more cognizant because I've definitely knocked my mic a few times and then it's like you know while you're editing it's a loud I don't know if you do your own production. Did you start doing your own production or did you outsource it initially? Well, when I was first doing it, I was working with a company called Mike Me Audio. Nick over there, Nick Perry is great. I love him. He helped me to launch Care More Be Better. He's also helping me to launch my nutrition show, which will be out this uh, spring. So I can't talk too much about it until it's ready, but you know, that's the nuts and bolts. He does a very good job of taking care of like helping you produce the intro and the outro and then also creating just the a splash of what you're going to have for your episode art and things like that. As a designer or somebody that has worked in design in some way, I probably architect a lot of that myself. But the fact that he's there to support the journey is really, really helpful. And so I had him when I launched Care More Be Better edit my first several episodes while I was in graduate school with the plan of when I graduate, I'm going to do it myself. And I did that. I did that for a while. I took my understanding of how audio works uh, to a new level. It made me a better podcaster, I will say, because when you edit yourself and you hear how many times you say, um, or if you got too close to the camera, whatever, you see all of it. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I could just do this better. I could position myself better in front of the microphone. I could sit a little more still, or I could get rid of these verbal crutches when I say, you know, 16 times in an episode. And I hated having to edit 
edit it out. So I encourage every podcaster to spend at least a little bit of time working to edit your own stuff. And you don't have to pay a lot for any softwares. I pay for the Adobe suite, but I didn't even use Adobe tools to edit my podcast. I learned to use Audacity, which is free. You can download Mm -hmm. the current version for Apple or for a PC. And there are tons of tutorials available on YouTube to help you learn to use it to edit your podcast. So again, you don't have to pay anything for that. It's a relatively simple thing to do that also can get really complicated if you want to like zhuzh up your podcast level. But most of what I learned to do, I used like three or four tools in it and it was good enough. Yeah, I agree. Someone I was speaking with earlier this week was discussing about how they kind of cycle through different episodes of my podcast, like from the early days and then versus now. And she was like, it's just also cool to see how much it's grown. And because, you know, <laughs> the earlier episodes are always a little a little more cringy, right? Because you want to, <laughs> you want to like get it out there. I don't think I had intro music yet. I didn't know how to like finesse things to sound really like an appealing podcast. Mm-hmm. And actually, I got some early advice from someone who I had interviewed on the podcast, but also she was like really good in production. And she gave me some early advice. And I also have friends who are musicians who produce Mm -hmm. music all the time, help me figure out how to edit and make things sound tolerable to your ears. But it is true. You become very um, like finicky about how things sound and you just become more cognizant. But yeah, there's so much you can learn from either your network or from like the University of Google as so many That's people right. Reference. Well, and starting out doing a lot of it your own on your own, I think is actually really good for you on your development perspective to really help you understand it and learn it. And then even if you are having somebody else edit it, you know what you can or can't edit easily. So it makes you more cognizant of their process. I mean, at this point, some of the things I do now when I record podcasts, because I am having Care More Be Better produced about 50% of the shows by Podetize, I will actually in the episode itself say, okay, we're going to edit this section because I just got that, you know, sound blurb from whatever. And so I'm going to restate the question cut this out, you know, whatever. And I'll give the direction as I'm recording the podcast. And so the guest hears that too. And it can be live feedback for them sometimes like, okay, well, they just knocked something on their desk. And I know I can't edit that out easily. So I'm like, okay, we just had a little interference, whatever, and do that as instruction within the show. And it's made it easier for them to edit. And one of the things that I I did get as feedback that I think is good for any podcaster is that if you have a website for your show, including a blog that relates to the show to impact your SEO positively is really, really powerful. And so Mm -hmm. I personally have the Care More Be Better show on WordPress, which is probably best for SEO, but way more tedious to do than some of the other options. I do like PodPage for the podcaster that's just getting started out because you can start a page for free and that has more functionality than what you might automatically get for free from your RSS feed provider. So if you're with Anchor or if you're with Blueberry or if you're with Captivate or any of the numerous others, they don't necessarily supply you with the best functioning site and you may not have already invested in a site of your own. So you can go to PodPage and in a matter of like five minutes, create a page that looks good, that contains all of your show notes. You can update blogs. You can add your guests to them. If you have a guest format show, you can make it dark theme or light theme. And they just look really, really nice for something you put that little effort into. So I have one of those two, even though I have my own site. (laughs) 
Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, these are super helpful tips, especially for people who just want to start out. And I think people get, like we were discussing earlier, get bogged down by the overwhelming, like, oh, I need to have a website. I need to do the production. I need to do all of these things. Yeah. So if you're able to kind of figure out how to make it a little bit easier for yourself, at least to start, because the reality is it's always going to be evolving. Everything about right. what you're creating is constantly going to be reiterated. Like even for this podcast, I've done the artwork redone it probably three times, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so you'll just keep evolving and it's okay to just accept that, but you don't have to launch and have it be perfect. It can be simple and you can expand later on. You can even change the name. You could change the description. You could change the show mm -hmm. art. You could decide, oh, my audience isn't gravitating to this the same way I would expect them to. So I think I need to do something different with the branding. We've gone yeah. through that with the media casters. It started out as femme casters focused on women and really trying to support and elevate the voices of women. And we found as we were growing the show that a good deal of the community were men and we were supporting all these men and we started to get questions like, okay, so you're femme casters, but you're interviewing men too. And, but they're doing great things that we want. We want to tell this story and I don't want to say no to it. Or I'm helping this guy launch a comedy podcast. And so we're going to talk about that. You know, so we've pivoted from mm -hmm. the podcast being just femme casters to the media casters. And now we're kind of opening the doors to being more inclusive, even within the female community, because a lot of women don't like femme. It was too girly for them. Them. And they didn't like mm -hmm. the artwork because it had bras in the background and maybe they didn't want to see that. You know, I think it's just so critical to remember that when you're creating a brand, you have to capture feedback from your audience any way you can. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's hard. And sometimes it means you have to make weird choices and, and go through a rebrand after only four months of being in the marketplace. But hey, you know, we, we learned, we responded. We're actually actively engaged with our community in such a way that we can do that. And I think that's important to just tell anyone. It's like you can reinvent yourself at any point in your life. You can also reinvent a brand at any point in its life cycle. And a podcast can be a brand. It can feed your personal brand. It can establish your credibility. And if you have any desire to do so, I really am in love with the medium. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have going on three podcasts. You know, I also enjoy coming on other people's shows. I listen to yours. I love the topics that you're covering on your show when you interface with people that are working to make an impact through their work, through entrepreneurship, through, you know, their daily lives, the things that they might spend two thirds of their life doing, maybe in some cases more. And just, I think it's so important to think about how we use our voices and our personal ability to get them out there with something like podcasting. I just think it's amazing we can do this. As you were talking, it just got me thinking of how powerful podcasting is in general. It's it's an industry that just continues to grow and people, that's how a lot of people absorb information nowadays. Like you mentioned earlier, most people don't have time to sit down and read a book. So sometimes <laughs> if you're just trying to figure out and get some new knowledge for the day, you'll throw on a podcast while you're cooking dinner or driving or doing something. So you're able to learn something new for that day, whatever it may be, whatever industry. But I do think that there is power behind podcasting, especially when it comes to amplifying voices and stories of people who maybe were scared before to share their stories or to believe that they had value behind their voice. I know I kind of came from that perspective of, you know, what do I have to say? 
the reality is everyone has something to say. We've all had a life that we've lived and we all can provide value in our unique and distinct ways. And I think podcasting is a really beautiful outlet for you to feel like you have power behind your voice without feeling too out of your comfort zone initially because it's audio, right? So people can feel a little <laughs> more comfortable knowing that it's just their voice and not them that I guess is is being judged initially. And I think it's a, a powerful tool that people can use. Yeah. And the starter ground, I think for many has been social audio. And so if you're going on Clubhouse or if you're going on the Wisdom app or Twitter spaces, you're getting a chance to practice using your voice without having to worry so much about the way you might look when you're speaking or what you're wearing or whatever, right? Like you mm-hmm. can just exercise that capability and think about if it's something that you might want to do in a different way. I actually recently tested recording a podcast on the Wisdom app and I've been able to record quality audio on the app through some external devices that I'm using. So I even if you if you're on the Wisdom app, you can go find my page and um, there is an episode where I was like, can you record quality audio on the Wisdom app? And the answer was yes, if you have the right tech. One of the benefits I think of thinking about being on these applications is they're trying to provide ways to monetize your effort, even if it's really small, like $5 coffee at Starbucks or an Amazon gift card, which sorry, I try to tell everybody don't shop Amazon, but it's, it might be a nice little juice for you. There's just other ways to engage with your audience as well through social audio. So if you can record an episode there and build your audience at the same time, that could be, I think, very helpful if you're getting your start out. I would love to kind of pivot a little bit and talk, you know, you've given some great advice about podcasting and given your history. I'd love to talk about how you as an entrepreneur and kind of building these three different podcasts that you're about to be, (laughs) you know, managing alongside everything else that you manage in your life. You mentioned that you're a mom, you have obviously a lot that's going on. How do you manage your life, show up for yourself, take care of yourself so that you're able to really do all of these incredible things with integrity? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I block my days. Time blocking is something I think is absolutely critical for anybody who handles multiple projects. You know, for a long, long time, I worked for just one company and did just one thing right? So it became very comfortable to do just one thing. And I found that boring after a while, right? Like after a decade or so doing that, like, gosh, you know, like it would be nice to have more variability in my day. And so I block my mornings specifically for my international work with my client, my primary client. And then I spend like the lunch hour often doing something specifically that's related to podcast growth, like audience growth or community management or something along that those lines. And then And later in the afternoon, I'm either recording shows or I'm getting to the gym or I'm revisiting my email and making sure projects are moving forward. So I've got this standing appointment for myself at the gym from four to five every day. I don't always make it, but I do most days. And if I'm not going to make it, I have some weights at home that I lift. So I... I'm able to like squeeze in a little bit. I have an animal. And the reason I think this is really important, a dog, right? That needs to get Mm -hmm. out every day. She forces me to take a walk. Like she'll just like sit here and like look at me or give me a tap on the leg with her nose. Like it's time to go mom. And so I will walk my son to school in the morning with, with my dog and then continue on a hike around my neighborhood, getting outside and communing with nature, with my animal, with me, I think is something that just grounds me every single day. And it's something I do every single day. There's actually research that shows that people with animals live longer 
And I think this is part of the reason. So, you know, yes, I have a bearded dragon. I doubt that the bearded dragon is going to make me live longer, but the dog who makes me get outside and exercise and commune with nature and be in the woods, that will. So yeah. And then, you know, the evenings I spend with my kids, it's like, you know, I pick them up five to eight is theirs. And sometimes I have to pick up and do some more work in the evening. I'm working to write a book. So I might spend an hour or so on that. But really it's just checking in with myself. And sometimes that check-in when I'm on that walk with my dog, how am I feeling? Do I need another break today? Am I going to need to shuffle something? You know, it's the check-in. I think that's so important. And I think I've even noticed it's been a little bit colder in Los Angeles this week and people probably will laugh at me for <laughs> saying that. So but there's frost been... on the ground here. I'm like, my friends in Chicago <laughs> saying it's two degrees here. Come on. <laughs> I know. But okay, it was like 39 degrees the other morning, which is a little cold. Like I love starting my day outside. That's why partially I live in Los Angeles, California, because I can (laughs) go outside every day without also being miserable being outside. As someone who previously lived in New York, there's probably eight months out of the year that you are The biting cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's too much. summers. There's probably six good weeks of weather on the East Coast, and it baffles me that I even lived there at some point. But (laughs) like you're saying, I think being outside and getting sunshine in the morning, or at least at some point in your day, is so important. Also, just for your touching on earlier how you're talking about your body wants to be in homeostasis, I think it helps us regulate ourselves, be able to sleep better move better, be better, the whole theme, right? Care more, be better. (laughs) And so I (laughs) think the sunshine definitely adds to that. I know we're getting towards the end. So I'd love to finish by just asking you, what advice would you offer to entrepreneurs in general? Take away the podcast, take away anything like that. When When you're switching gears from having worked for somebody else, to really trying to implement and push forward something that you're doing on your own. What is the biggest thing that you found has helped you along that journey and you wish someone had told you when you started? That's a tough one. You touched on it and I think I touched on it earlier too. You don't have to go it alone. Entrepreneurship can be really isolating. When you feel like, okay, I'm a I'm a party of one working to get this thing off the ground, either get to a point where I've got enough revenue to be able to hire some other people to help me or get to a point where I'm an egg go ahead and seek investment from external parties that are going to affect my business and potentially help me formalize a board and get other people involved that are going to guide the business forward. Great, fine. You can go those traditional routes. You can feel alone. You can sit there with your nose to the grindstone and feel isolated and feel alone. Or you can actually work to connect with people that you ask to be mentors and collaborators in some way. You can find a co-founder to support your journey who believes what you believe. And if you do that, then suddenly you're not going it alone. Suddenly you have somebody else or, or several somebody's else that you can connect with and say, here's my struggle. This is where I am. And this is what I'm hoping to do. You know, what do you think? Because when we feel isolated, it's harder to make progress. It's easier to get discouraged. And if we're discouraged, we don't enter a creative space easily enough. I think at least that's true for me. I will say too that you can connect with other founders 
and create kind of that founder to founder relationship of, hey, you know, would you be willing to do X, Y, and Z for me? And I'll do X, Y, and Z for you. And, and that can kind of expand it out. The other piece I will mention is like, you can look at these mentors almost as your personal board. So maybe you're not at the stage of developing a board yet, but you might be a creative and not have a lot of financial knowledge and discover somebody in your community that has more financial knowledge of how to run a business. And you say, okay, well, I'd really love for you to mentor me in this area where I have less experience or knowledge. Are you open to that? And really kind of develop that ongoing relationship. And then when you get to a stage where you might be formalizing a board with an S-corp or something like that, then suddenly you have that person to ping on the shoulder and say, would you be willing to be on my board? And it's like, it's a graduation for them, but at the same time, they helped you along your journey. They have that intimate knowledge of what you've worked to build. And so now you have collaborators or, or coming into something more formal with you. Yeah, that's just it. You don't have to go it alone. You can do all of your growth through community. Doesn't have to be a solo enterprise, even if you're the sole entrepreneur. I love that. It's such a solid piece of advice to end on. And Karina, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and expand our community in kind of the social impact space. Before we go, just advise how people can get in touch with you. I think the easy way is to find me on LinkedIn. There's only one Karina Belizzi that I've seen there. So I do check my LinkedIn at least once a week. So you can send me a message there. Caremorebebetter.com is the podcast focused on social impact and sustainability you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts it's quite easy and if you're interested in podcasting broadcasting media and more you can come to the media casters community which is the mediacasters.mn.co and join for free i host office hours every thursday and we talk about whatever our community needs to talk about amazing thank you so much thank you Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, check us out on social media, and we will see you here next week. Music is provided by Esby Fonte, the song is Pico and Westwood. For more information, check the link in our bio.